The yeah. chocolate milk myth, as far as helping your muscles recover after a workout, it just doesn't seem to make sense to me. You have this substance that has some essential nutrients, right? But it comes in this package with these really nasty deleterious effects to the human body, right? Because it's 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 made for a bovine, it's not made for the human body. So it leads to bone breakdown, makes 70% of the world's population quite sick in the form of lactose intolerance. Um, it's continually linked to hormonal-based cancers. I mean, the prostate cancer risk is massive. Welcome to the Exam Room Podcast, brought to you by the Physicians Committee. Hi, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for raising your health IQ with us. This is episode 60 of season four, number 255 overall. And the Olympics are now in full swing. And today we are going to be going for the gold in health. And to stand atop the podium, we must first answer this question. How does an Olympian eat? Actually, check that. How does a vegan Olympian eat? That is what we are going to be finding out. And our friend Dotsie Bausch is here. She took home a silver medal in cycling at the London Olympics, and she happened to do it at an age where most of her fellow competitors were comfortably enjoying retirement. But there was Dotsie, racing past father time and helping to guide Team USA to a medal. And what was her secret? Well, there's a few of them. It's drive, determination, will, and a plant-based diet. Now, you might be thinking, but Chuck, so many of these Olympians that we see on TV are all about milk. They even have the mustaches and the ads and everything. Heck, I've even seen blogs that say chocolate milk is the best drink ever for recovering after a workout. Well, indeed, dueling messages can be very confusing. So today, we are going to be getting some clarity on those chocolate milk claims. And as the founder of Switch for Good, Dotsy is actually uniquely qualified to talk about this. Maybe you've seen Switch for Goods ads that teach athletes about dairy's real deal and how it can actually bring down their performance. But you know, Dotsie, she's not the only cyclist who is cashing in on all of the benefits that a vegan diet has to offer. Mark Cavendish actually just a few weeks ago took the world by storm at this year's Tour de France breathed fresh new life into a fledgling career. Everyone had written Mark off. And now here he is on the cusp of a big payday. And this resurgence came after he changed what it was that he was eating. He said goodbye to meat. He bid bon voyage to dairy. And then his dreadful performances they faded away. Talking about Mark in just a little bit. And of course, we're also going to be talking about how you can also eat like an Olympian. 
As a matter of fact, as the Tokyo games are going on, Switch for Good is running a campaign all about just that. And we will be filling you in as we go for Golden Health with Dotsie Bausch. You know, the Olympics are here and everybody thinks about, well, these guys are at the peak of their game. They're at the top of their game. They're the best of the best of the best of the best. But what do the best of the best of the best of the best need to be fueling their bodies with to really be the best of the best of the best of the best of the best? Well, I'll tell you what they don't need to be fueling their bodies with. And that is dairy. And Today on the program, we have somebody who can speak to that from experience because she has been up there on the Olympic podium herself. She is an extraordinary cyclist. She is the co-founder of Switch for Good. She is just all around, just a badass woman. Dotsie Bausch, welcome back to the exam room. Thanks for having me back. I love your work. I love what you do. I'm always happy to spend time with you. And likewise, my friend, and this has to be a super exciting time for you. The game's going on right now over in Tokyo. It's got to just conjure up all kinds of feels for you. Yeah, I know. It's always an exciting time. I got super addicted to watching Olympic trials, like just track and field and swimming and and cycling. And I got the pleasure and the honor to uh, announce the, the USA Cycling Olympic team. And oh, there's so much nostalgia there. And I was just so motivated by all the athletes that are focused on going to Tokyo and giving it their all. You know, I was feeling sorry for them, you know, all oh, this Olympics going to suck. You know, there's no opening ceremonies, no closing, you know, you can't really hang out in the village. It's going to, there's no spectators period uh, in the stands. And, but you know what? They, they just, they, they turn my frown upside down because they, they are all just hyper focused on going to do their thing and compete. And they just feel quite grateful, honestly, that it's happening, right? Because for a while there, they didn't even know if this year was going to happen. So they're just, they just, all of them, whether they've been to the Olympics before or not, they just said, you know what, listen, it is what it is. Uh, a lot of people have suffered uh, hard through this pandemic. And uh, we just feel, we just really feel appreciative that we're going to get to go. And yeah, it's going to be quiet stands, but Quite frankly, they all said, you know, we've been competing in front of uh, quiet uh, stadiums for a year. So sadly, they're they're kind of used to it. I mean, yeah, that that does make a lot of sense. But I, it's it's the experience. They've all been working so hard to get there. And it would be a crying shame if that just couldn't happen. So uh, I'm all in for Tokyo. I'm glad that this is happening. And I know that they're moving mountains to try to keep everybody as healthy and as safe as possible. But let's switch gears from this uh, this Olympic Games back to your Olympic Games. Uh, what year was it that you had the privilege of standing on top of the podium or on the podium? You got a silver medal? Yes, it was 2012 in London. 2012 in London. Now, here's something I've always wondered. We were talking about the best of the best of the best athletes, yeah. right? And so you you clearly you fall into that category. When did you really start to ramp up your training leading up to that? You know, because I'm thinking like MMA, there's a, as we, um, Conor McGregor just fought. So you hear about like an MMA yeah. fighter. And so they really don't start training until a month or two out. Right. And I assume that looking at their nutrition, that really doesn't start until that time either. How far out were you when you really started to kick things into high gear? 
Well, now that you've shared that with me about the MMA fighters, I feel like I'd rather be an MMA fighter if they're not training in between <laughs> fights because I think they probably are. But that really serious high density focus is, I think, what you're talking about. But I mean, quite honestly, it you know it was it was a it was a 13 year career. There there was there was never a time when I wasn't highly focused on. Uh, you know, the next, the next battle, the next race, the next world championships, because all of those were the building blocks to make it to the Olympic team. So, you know, the, you know, you're, you're starting to qualify the country, your, your own country spot. A lot of people don't know that. Like it's not, you're not necessarily qualifying. You're going to the Olympics. You have to qualify your country spot. And then the country itself will select the athletes that will fill that spot. So we started that process, um, qualifying the United States in our discipline on the track, um, a year and a half before, you know, so I, I guess you could kind of say that's when it really comes into your, your focused sphere of this is happening, you know, that, that we are going to the Olympics and I could be one of the athletes, but yeah, as a professional athlete, it's, you're never really, you know, cruising. To, for very long time, you know, you, t- you take some time off right in, in the off season, but uh, your, your feet are never really up for too long. Sure. And, and that's not to say, I just use Conor McGregor as an example. That's not to say that they're not always, you know, working on their fitness and, and trying to be healthy. I'm talking about, mm-hmm. you know, like camp, right? So they have this camp that they mm-hmm. go to, and that's usually a month or two ahead of time. And that's when they really get that hyper-focused, you know, just yeah. training sessions in and, and kick things into high gear. But I mean, if, if you're doing that from 18 months out, I mean, good God almighty. I mean, you, you got some endurance there, Dotsie. Well, so, you know, the, the mental aspect I think maybe is even more what you're talking about that hyper focus. So I hear you now, like you're not, you're not in that realm for 18 straight months physically you are right because you're building 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 so you're you're tearing down and then you're repairing and you're getting stronger tearing down and that never stops but the mental aspect of that you know you I worked on it really hard like maybe the last five years of my career uh with a sports psychologist but you we went to Mallorca, Spain, the, the, the U.S. team, so that we could be on the same time zone as London. Uh, Mallorca also provides incredible uh, road cycling, and they have a great track there. So we spent three, a little over three months there as a team uh, before heading over to London. So that kind of was our like that, you know, that camp prep that you're talking about, where literally every minute of every day is built around those two days in London. Like everything you're doing, everything you're eating, your entire experience. And it's, it's intense. It's, it was very intense, but it was, it was also wonderful. I'll, I'll bet. I mean, an experience like no other, an experience of a lifetime, but we can't have this here <laughs> interview without talking about the food that you, you guys were eating. Uh, what was the typical menu like uh, for the team at that point? Well, my menu was a little different than of course. teammates' menus. Of course, um, although they 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 leaned into it quite a bit more cool. as, as we you know just just a lot more you know plants on their plate because that's never a bad thing, right? Um, yeah. So it was somewhat challenging in my work in Spain. My husband and I are getting ready to go back for a vacation in, in like a month and we can't wait to see what's changed and if there's more vegan options and, and maybe even some vegan restaurants. But uh, it, typical t- typical meals for me were uh, really still here, how I still eat today. You know, it's like 
a, I like to make these huge Buddha bowls in the Game Changers film. I called them trough bowls because I ate a <laughs> lot of food back then. You know, just they were really large. I'm holding my hands up like I'm holding a, a monster bowl. But it was like grains and greens and beans, legumes and seeds and nuts and, um, you know, a wonderful dressing. Maybe I would do some, you know, chopped up field roast sausages or some stir fried tofu on there, but not always. I, I don't, I'm not somebody who's like, I have to have a meat replacement on there. You know, a lot of times I just would love the garbanzo beans, kidney beans, black beans, whatever it might be. And that was really easy to access because we had this absolutely phenomenal, gorgeous farmer's market. We stayed in Alro, Spain and our balcony overlooked the Alero town square. And every Saturday they had this farmer's market that just blew my mind. I've never been to a farmer's like it in, in the U S and as, as a lot of people know, the, the, the vegetables just taste different. I, you know, they're just not as they haven't gone through as many processes and they don't spray as much crap on them over <laughs> in Europe. So it, it just, everything basically was organic you know, without, without saying it. So we would go every Saturday and just load up and, and it, it was just a lot of color um, and, and, a, and a lot of food in general. Get a, well, yeah, it's gotta be a lot of food. If you're going to the trough, not just sitting down at the yeah. table, you're going to the trough. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, here's one. A lot of athletes, when they first get the, we, they first have a conversation about eating plant-based. One of the things that they worry about, well, there's no way I'm going to get enough calories. And I would imagine that when you're training, when you're in camp leading up to the games, like you're probably taking in more than the typical 2000 calories a day. Was that difficult for you to get to that number of calories that you needed, knowing that you were eating a more nutrient dense uh, diet than what some would say was calorically dense. How did you find that mm -hmm. balance? Yeah, quite honestly, I found it difficult even before I was plant-based, yeah. uh, you know, so I, I was needing to take in four to 4,500 calories. I mean, it was, I was burning five easily, sometimes more. So, you know, I needed to stay the same weight. And so sometimes I, I you know, I had to, had to match it. Right. So it was up upwards of 5,000, 5,500 calories, which is a lot of food. And yes, it it it, re it required more food uh, as as a as a plant based athlete. So, I mean, now I don't feel that way at all. Like I love food, and when people tell me, "Oh, I couldn't go plant based. I'm a foodie," it's like, "Oh, well, you get to eat like three times as much food. So if you're a foodie, plant based is for you because you get to, you know, really you get to have more volume." But uh, you know, back then, yes, I we used to call it force feeding. It just was too much food to, to, for, to really ever sit down and enjoy a meal. Um, you know, and, and you have to think about the, the, the cost uh, analysis of your digestion too, right? Because that takes energy and effort away from your uh, body repairing and replenishing its muscle and its muscle fibers uh, and, and, and lung tissue and, and everything. So uh, the one thing that I felt so much better on a plant-based diet was my digestion. You know, I didn't, I never felt like I was, um, I never felt bloated. I never felt lethargic. I never felt heavy. I never felt like, Oh gosh, I've got to take a nap to digest my meal. So that, that was a really cool difference. Even though I was eating a bit more volume, um, I just felt springy and able to just, you know, go for a walk or go for a recovery bike ride within, you know, 20, 30 minutes after, after eating a really, really large meal. And that was never the case with meat and dairy. 
Oh, that's great. We're going to talk about that in depth in just a second. I mean, we're we're going to go we're going to go ham on uh, pardon the pun. We're going to go ham on dairy. Um, so uh, stay tuned for that. But I'm curious. So you're talking about this nice farmers market that you had access to in Spain. But what about when you actually got to the Olympic Village in London? Um, speaking in the past to Megan Duhamel, she was telling me about um, how it was sponsored by McDonald's. And basically, if you were a participant in the games, you could go and get a Big Mac 24 hours a day, seven days a week, as long as the games were going on. What was the situation like for you in London? Yeah, it, it is super bizarre. There is a McDonald's inside of the athlete eating hall, inside of it. And it's pretty humorous a little in terms of the beginning of the games, like the first couple days I was there, I got there, I went to opening ceremonies. So I was there at the beginning. Mostly the line for McDonald's is filled with um, like coaches and trainers and mechanics and that. You're like, there's no athletes. Like they, at least athletes have gotten a memo, like maybe no McDonald's high performance diet. They're, they're not the same thing. But as the games would, uh, were unfolding, you could tell the athletes that were finished with their events were in line uh, for for McDonald's. Even my teammates, I'll have to say that that night after our medal ceremony and all the interviews and everything, and we finally wound down and we were starving. We're like, we're going to McDonald's. I was like, you guys really, really, that's really where you're, what we're going to do right now. But, you know, it was the whole. So, but I will say in London, uh, they did a phenomenal job with the rest of the food, even though there was a McDonald's in the center. They had it. Uh, separated in categories by uh, regions of the world. So it, it was just beautiful. I mean, so basically any athlete from any part of the world could go to their section of the world and get food that agrees with them, that they were already used to, that their system was already used to eating. So I just thought that was lovely and so inclusive and a beautiful thing to do. And, but it also, you know, for us Americans that you know, we, we love to either eat, you know, Asian food or, you know, East Indian food or, or, you know, uh, Spanish food or whatever it might be. It was quite fun because you could go to, you know, go to all the different sections and they had plant-based options at every, every single section of the world. I mean, it was unbelievable. I had no idea it was going to be that good. It, it, I, I could eat there every day. I was so sad when it was over. That was, sounds amazing. It was incredible. Yeah, yeah, that's so cool. You know, <laughs> but hold on back to the McDonald's. I think one of the things Megan said that made me laugh, she was like, the only athletes that we really saw in the McDonald's before their competition were curlers. Curlers <laughs> didn't seem to matter so much for them. Of course, she's doing the Winter Olympics, and that made all the sense in the world to me. I just thought that that was fantastic. Um, <laughs> fantastically funny. Anyway. Yeah, right. Um, Let's uh, let's let's go ham on dairy now, shall we? Uh, let's take a take a few minutes and talk <laughs> okay. about milk. Why not? Um, you see a lot of these Olympians doing ads promoting milk, right? And so McDonald's, they're a big sponsor there. You can get that pretty readily. Was milk all over the place there as well? Yeah, for sure. Definitely. I mean, you, you know, you had access to every dairy product that you could think of. You know, there was plenty of ice cream and there was plenty of yogurt and there was cheese options on everything. And there was, you know, milk and chocolate milk. I mean, it was, it was readily available. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about chocolate milk. This is a claim that just it, it 
always seemed bizarre to me, even before I became interested in health and nutrition, the yeah. chocolate milk myth, as far as helping your muscles recover after a workout, it just doesn't seem to make sense to me. It's milk, but then you dump a whole bunch of sugar in it, right? So even if you don't know that milk by itself is a very sugary substance, you know that when you add a crap ton of sugar to something, it's not mm -hmm. going to be the healthiest thing in the world, yet it's being touted as the ultimate recovery drink. What, what, yeah. what is this? Help me understand. Well, here's why. And it, it, they, they, they have uh, one part of that correct. Uh, we, because there's, there's, there's plenty of research surrounding that initially within the first hour after uh, really hard uh, exercise where you've torn down your muscles and, 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 you know, been training for an hour or more that the first replenishment that you need is glycogen. Um, and then within 30 to 45 minutes after the replenishment of glycogen, because that's what starts uh, is the precipitous to muscle repair, you need to start moving in the, the protein and then some fats. So that's why they're, they're leaning on it because it, what, what, yes, there are better forms of sugar than others. Of course, we know that, right? We want to get our sugars in whole fruit sources so that we can have the fiber with it because might as well have the best, right? And not, you know, um, like a filtered apple juice, right? Where you're not going to have the fiber, but nonetheless, it, it, you need some kind of glycogen or sugar repair to start muscle, uh, you know, recovery and synapse. So they have that right. But what is, is, is crazy about all of the rest of it. And, and you talk about this, you know, plenty of times with uh, Dr. Barnard and Susan Levin with milky white lies is <laughs> you have this substance right? That has some, has some essential nutrients, right? Of course it does. It's to grow a baby. So all breast milk of any mammal, right? It's got some qualities and it's got some protein and some carbohydrates and some fat, right? And some nutrients uh, because it has to, but it comes in this package where with these really nasty deleterious effects to the human body, right? Because it's, it's, it's made for a bovine. It's not made for the human body. So um, it, it, it leads to a, you know, bone breakdown makes 70% of the world's population quite sick in the form of lactose intolerance. Um, it's continually linked to hormonal-based cancers, especially breast and prostate, as we know, and you guys talk about, I mean, the prostate cancer risk is massive. Um, I think the uh, International Journal of Cancer uh, did a study where um, if men consumed, the, the men that consumed three or more servings of dairy products a day had a 141% higher risk for death due to prostate cancer compared to those who had less than one serving. I mean, that's staggering. That's not like 10% more. Uh, it's, 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 it's just monstrous. And, you know, I, I think one of the main things that uh, people are always surprised to learn is as far as athletes go, uh, is how many athletes suffer from asthma. Uh, about 20% of the United States um, Olympic team in Atlanta in 96 has had asthma, has had asthma. Um, don't know if they still do. If they gave up dairy, they don't have it anymore. But uh, dairy has been linked in, in, in multiple ways in multiple reviews and studies to the exacerbation of asthma. So you just have all of these issues that come with it when you could just have a creamy white glass of soy milk. And if you want to add a little sugar to it to, to, for glycogen replenishment, then, you know, have at it. 
Yeah, man. Let me tell you something. There is nothing wrong with a good old fashioned glass of. Uh, I'm a mark for unsweetened almond vanilla, uh, vanilla almond milk. Unsweetened. It's just like God's nectar to me. And I will drink two or three glasses of that a day and just be as happy as possible. Um, the thing, though, about this this chocolate milk thing, and and I wanted to know where this first came from. And I was able to trace it back as far as 2010. Mm -hmm. It was presented, the idea was at this conference in Baltimore, but the study itself that was being cited was funded by the National Dairy Council and the National Fluid Milk Pro Process yes. Promotion, well, like whatever yep. the heck that is. But so that, um, that needs to kind of like sound the alarms a little bit, right? So that's that's a bit of a red flag there when you know that the Dairy Council is behind a milk study. Right. I mean, yes yes, and no in terms of the, the more that I have, uh, you know, through doing what I do, the more I dive into studies, the more you realize that most of the studies that come out uh, a certain way are paid for by the people that wanted it to come out a certain way. I mean, that that's not unheard of. It's, 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 it's quite common, but I know that study that you're talking about. And if you look <laughs> under the rug at that study, there's two things that are just uh, resoundingly unbelievably ridiculous. And it's so sad that people don't look past the abstract to really see what the issues are with the study. One of the main issues is when they came out and said that chocolate milk is the ultimate recovery drink. Um, what it was compared to in the study was a sports drink and water. <laughs> so it's not even compared to a nutritionally equivalent like plant source. So soy milk or maybe almond milk, soy milk has more protein. So they probably, if they could have chosen that, that would have been fair. But first of all, anything with calories is going to win over something with zero calories, which is water, like period, you know, a, a mouthful of dirt is going to win over water. <laughs> Uh, Scott, you got a few calories there. Um, but then comparing it to a sports drink, you're obviously not comparing apples to apples. And people think when a study comes out, it says this is the ultimate recovery beverage because of these reasons that it's been compared to something that is equivalent. And then when you even look deeper into the study on the subjects that they used, they tested seven, that's it, not 70, not 17, seven white Irishmen. So... Well, there's all sorts of issues with that, right? Like, so they obviously were hand selected to not be lactose intolerant. So to say this is a great recovery drink for everyone is completely unfair because it's mm. not for the 70% of people that this substance makes sick via lactose intolerant, right? Um, it says in the study seven, uh, seven men, but we were curious and we emailed them and then that the, the PI of that study got right back to us and told he's the one that told us they were white and Irish. So then we knew they had been hand selected uh, to, to not be lactose intolerant. Well, heck, so I it's really misleading. That one. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's that <laughs> selective data. All right. Um, yeah. here, here's another thing, right? So you talk about recovery and one of the things that I've learned since doing the exam room is that when it comes to recovery, you want anti-inflammatory foods, anti-inflammatory everything, right? Mm -hmm. If your muscles are inflamed, you're not going to be able to recover nearly as well. Uh, but is dairy not inflammatory? Isn't it? Yeah, no, well, it, it, def it definitely is. I mean, yeah. so first of all, if you're lactose intolerant, but then second of all, um, the D-galactose 
and the NEU 5GC are the two aspects of dairy that um, scientists uh, and, and physicians have told me are the most inflammatory factors. And those are, are mainly because they're not recognized by the human body. So what happens when something comes in that our body doesn't recognize, it mounts a defense system in the form of inflammation. Right. So then yeah. wouldn't that kind of go against the whole idea of uh, chocolate milk being yeah. recovery fuel? Yes, yes, yes. Mm-hmm. You, you, you're winning right now. Mm-hmm. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. I I have to win. I'm on a podcast with you for goodness <laughs> sake, man. Uh, I got I got I got to keep pace with you. Uh, one of the things that you mentioned on the Switch for Good website as well uh, was blood flow, right? And I would imagine that's critical for athletic performance as well. But you consume a lot of fat that comes with the dairy that's going to restrict blood flow as mm-hmm. well yeah. uh, over the long like long haul. Like that's that's really going to set you back as well, isn't it? Yeah, no, that's a great point. That's what's so confusing about the dietary guidelines is they have come out finally in the last, you know, five years, uh, really taking a pretty strong stance on how bad saturated fat is for us and how many issues it, it, it creates and causes in the human body. Yet they still promote dairy, which is uh, the biggest source of saturated fat in the American diet. So that just doesn't align at all. So yeah. 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 (laughs) Saturated fat. Bad. Little contradictory there. Just a little bit. Uh, But yeah, I'll tell you what. You know what? You, you you brought up the Milky White Lies episode. And if you haven't heard that or if, if you haven't checked that out on YouTube yet, you really should. That's where Dr. Barnard and Susan Levin, the wonderful dietitian, and I, we went on the uh, dairy board website and looked at all of their health claims, the facts about milk, is, uh, milk uh. as they put it, and, and we just fact-checked those facts. Um, yeah, lots of skewed science there. Next time mm-hmm. we do that, uh, I'm, I'm going to rope you into that because I think that you would have a field day with that. <laughs> it's depressing to go on that site, but I've been on it. And yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. I don't know how they, they sleep at night. Uh, they do. Yeah. Well, yeah. 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 All right. Yeah. They, because they, they know how skewed it all is. I mean, they course. know that they're, yeah, oh, it's disgusting. I will tell you the interesting thing though is, um, and this is, this is a straight shot, just going off script. Some of the criticism that we receive is like, well, yeah, well, you guys do the same thing with your studies and you cherry pick the data. And I can tell you for a fact that is not happening. Uh, we give it to you straight. And a lot of the nutrition studies that you see out there that come from the supposed plant-based community, and I'm going to put that in quotes because that's what the critics do. Uh, those are straight shooting uh, studies, you know? Yeah. And, and, and you, you and I don't have anything to gain. No. Right. We're not selling anything. No. So uh, yeah, there's, I mean, I'm not, you're not, you know, physicians committee and switch for good are nonprofit. So we're just trying to sell the truth, but we're not getting any money no matter what we're, what we're going to spend if mm. we were to spend some, you know, so that I think you have to really kind of look behind, uh, you know, how much money there is to be made. They're selling a, a product. Mm, that peaks the reporter in me, makes me want to go do yeah. a little investigative report and follow that money trail. <laughs> there you go. Uh, all right. Uh, back to the games in Tokyo. You know what I would love? I would love this so much if one of our marathon runners was eating a plant-based diet, right? Because uh. we hear so much about how vegan uh, endurance athletes just mm. perform so optimally. And I think that that would be such a home run 
uh, if we could get somebody on that particular team to eat a plant-based diet, I think that would be gangbusters. Yeah, I think some of the track and field, I heard snippets and smatterings of conversations about predominantly plant-based diets with some of the athletes in the 5k and 10k but I, I yeah I haven't heard anything for the marathon it's so you know we're kind of moving into an era where so many athletes are starting to get this memo and and learning like oh this could actually be a performance advantage that I I'm fairly curious uh, to know if there's some that are just not sharing their secret mm, it could be. You yeah. know, because we used to not, I mean, you know, back in the day, I didn't know that this was going to be a performance enhancer. So I wasn't quiet about it, but, but now I might be, but other way, other ways that I was training, uh, I definitely didn't share. Yeah. You know, it's like your, it's, it's, you know, it's your little like secret toolbox of, of how you're going to be better than the next. So I, yeah, I, I'm, I'm quite curious about that because I think it's possibly quite a bit more athletes than we know about. Got to keep that edge. Got to keep yeah. that edge. Yeah. Um. And and so speaking about the number of athletes that uh, that are doing this now, uh, your your roster with the Eat Like an Olympian campaign in just a couple of minutes, I'm going to ask you about that. It's a who's who, and there are some gigantic names on that list. So I'm really excited about what you have cooking there. Um. But before we go over there, there's two more things that I want to hit. Uh, with you. One is something that you just tipped me off to right before we began this interview was what's happening with uh, this gentleman by the name of Mark Cavendish over at the Tour de France. Like this guy, this guy is really raising some eyebrows because of his story. So sell it with the same passion that you told it to me <laughs> 20 minutes ago. Cause I was like, knock me over with the feather surprise. Yeah. Well, it's, it, no, it's, it, this is one of those examples of, uh, you know, just, I, I don't know why it's not more of a thing. It's, it's not being talked about more in, in the mainstream media or even coming out of his own mouth, but he is a Mark Cavendish is from Wales. He's a, so a, 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 a British cyclist and he is, uh, an, an absolutely extraordinary talent, a phenomenal sprinter was, winning stages in the Tour de France uh, in the mid 2000s, you know, just collecting it like you would just dust balls, like just easy peasy. It looked like, of course it wasn't, but, um, and then he just started kind of, you know, falling apart or he couldn't get out of his own way. Like we like to say in cycling. So for the past, I'd say five years, maybe six, like he just was unheard of. Like no one knew where he was and, and he couldn't get on a team. And he just, you know, he, he just, he wasn't winning races. And I, I, I thought he'd retired quite frankly. Well, anyway, long story short, he, this year, in this year's tour de France, um, he is uh, on a team who is not paying him. They said, "Not, we don't have a salary for you this year, you know, because he just was was really sucking sucking it up the last five or six years. And so they didn't, you know, put any stock into it and, and didn't pay him anything. He said, no problem. I can take care of it. I don't, you know, necessarily need a salary. Um, you know, he's racing against guys who are, their salaries are one, two, five million bucks. Anyway, he came out like gangbusters and he started winning a couple of sprint stages. Uh, and today, so it's July 9th, when this is in the air, he uh, won a stage of the tour, uh, which is his 34th stage win, which now it's makes history because it puts him um, 
in level with Eddie Merckx, who is really the most legendary, greatest uh, cyclist of all time. Uh, he's a Belgian cyclist back in the uh, 70s. And he won 34 stage of the Tour de France. So if Mark can pick up one more stage, you know, that, that makes history, uh, you know, 35 stages of the Tour de France. But here's what's so special. Uh, magically, miraculously, uh, about a year and a half ago, he went plant-based with his whole family. There it is. Yes. So he, you, you guys just have to, to Google him. He has like this um, meatless, like YouTube show. He has a hotel in the UK that the um, restaurant is, I, I think, I, I want to think it's 100% vegan, but it's almost all vegan. <laughs> I don't know if it's 100%. I don't want to mis, misquote that. Um he, his whole family went vegan. They said for uh, planet earth. So his wife and his kids and they're, they do these cooking videos and he just, he's, he's really, really quite open about it. Um, and I would say it's, it's the key that, that unlocked him uh, back to the top step of the podium. So I wish, I wish NBC was chatting about his plant-based diet a little bit more, but obviously that plays a, a huge role into why he is now back on the top step. He com he completely changed his whole diet over. Oh, that's so cool. That's such a cool story. The fact that he's pedaling for free just for the love yeah. of the sport and yeah. is at the top of his game once again is just it's incredible to me. And mm -hmm. uh, I I don't think that he'll be pedaling for free much longer. Uh, no, given given <laughs> I, the results, I guarantee you he is a massive contract. He is signed yesterday, probably even before this this win today, but definitely after today. For for I'm sure he's got a two or three year deal on the table, and you know he was definitely not going to be selected by the great Britain Olympic team prior to these wins, but now there's no way they can't take him because the, right. the, the road race in Tokyo is uh, it's a little bumpy, uh, but there aren't any big climbs. And so it could very easily end in a sprint. And <laughs> that's, that's the guy they want to take. Mark, get it done, Mark. <laughs> Typically I'll root for team USA, but I'm, I'm, I'm cheering for Mark this go around. Um, and, and so one more, and then we're going to talk, eat like an Olympian, but your Olympic moment, I was unaware that you were in the middle of royalty, both actual royalty <laughs> and music royalty. So talk to us a little bit about what that was like, because, oh my God, Paul McCartney, that is all. I know. Right. Well, you know what? I didn't know till after, like it's, I didn't really realize what was going on during. So we, um, in, in London, we uh, beat the Australians by eight one hundredths of a second to take us into the gold medal round. And we raced for gold against Great Britain. And like you said earlier, I have a silver. So that tells you how that went. So track cycling is just, it's just like all the rage it pretty much all through Europe, but especially in, in, uh, in great Britain. And so it was, it was standing room only. It was like um, my husband had to get my family's tickets um, like literally on the black market. It, it was, it was like the hottest ticket in town. And so he was like in alleyways the night before, like at two in the morning, getting <laughs> my family tickets to be able to come. That's super so it was sketchy. That's super, super, sketchy. super, yeah. I don't know what, I think he paid a lot, but anyway, we needed the fam bam there. Right. So um, crazy, just hottest ticket. And the, the, um, Prince and Princess were there and Paul McCartney was there. Like I said, I didn't, I didn't know that until, like a bit, a bit after, uh, like not before our race, but, uh, it was just, it, we, you and I were talking about 
the focus that you have as an athlete and, and, the, and that tunnel that you go into, you know, we call it the cave. Um, and I remember, you know, getting, uh, walking up the track to get clipped in to start that, that, that gold medal ride. And the whole track was moving. It, it was literally moving underneath me to a degree where I thought this is, I, I think the building that might implode, like, is this safe to, to race? Because it was so loud and they were beating the bleachers and their seats and everything in such a crazy, you know, they were just hysterical. So, but as an athlete, you don't really, you know, couldn't really hear the volume. I just remember staring at the crowd and thinking, this is, this is insane. But after the race, they won obviously. And, um, they started playing uh, Hey Jude and then Paul McCartney came up on the big screens and he was there and he started singing it. And it was a whole British moment that we weren't <laughs> too much a part of, but it was kind of like, whoa, this is, oh my, oh, and I'm like, oh, that's cute. They, they beamed in Paul McCartney and it's like, wait a minute, that's like section G4. He's right there. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, man. That, that file that under that just happened. (laughs) Holy crap. Uh, That's amazing, man. What a, what a moment. And there are going to be so many moments uh, in Tokyo as well. And eat like an Olympian. Like I'm stoked for this. You don't have to be an athlete participating in the games to eat like an Olympian. You guys have this cooked up over at switch for good. Talk to us a little bit about what you have going on with that. Yeah. Well, you know, the point of this is really just to have a really damn good time and win some prizes and really get a window into uh, what plant-based nutrition looks like for these Olympians that are competing in Tokyo. And then many of the Olympians that have been a part of our our work since the beginning that are retired, but, you know, three-time gold medalists in soccer and and, and whatnot. So uh, we have like a competition a challenge uh, that's a bingo board where you have to like comp- complete a challenge every day. It's going to run from opening ceremonies to closing ceremonies. So July 23rd to August 8th. Um, and it, in, if you sign up, which is super easy on switchforgood.org, it's just right on the homepage. Um, there's a, there's all sorts of discounts to um, our amazing food partners and prizes, but also uh, really um, specific to just the people that sign up. Um, window look into what these athletes are eating, uh, what they're eating to recover, what they're eating pre-workout, uh, what they're eating at, at night before, you know, what what kind of, you know, food that is. And I just want to say, you don't have to eat the volume of food. Like I recognize when we when we plan this out, I, I, I had this thought of, uh, eat like an Olympian. People are going to think they're going to get fat because like, <laughs> they know that we eat like so. It's, you don't have to go over the volume. It's really understanding uh, the types of plant-based foods that they're choosing at different parts in the day, depending on what their output is and what their workout looks like, and helping people to really learn the power of the nutrients in plants. Right, like nitric oxide and beets. We were talking about blood flow earlier. Fourteen uh, percent increase in endurance uh, if you eat. Uh, a cup of beets before uh, an endurance event, exercise, whatever you want to call it. So we're, we're going to hone in on really specific nutrients as we go throughout, but you're going to be able to see the menus of, of these athletes and all the different sports that they're in, whether it's a strength-based sport or more of an endurance-based sport. So it's set up so that we just have a lot of fun and people can win a lot of cool stuff, uh, but really, really learn in the, in the process and, and how they can apply um, all that nutrition advice to their own lives. To feel better. 
and and listen to me, roomies. This this is exciting, and it's not small potatoes, right? This isn't some small little thing that's happening. No, 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 no. <laughs> that's a, you guys expect to reach like ten million people like through your advertising campaign. So like that is an enormous pool. Like so, yeah, get in on this. Like that's a fierce competition. If you're in there with ten million people, for goodness <laughs> sakes, like I mean, you got to be throwing bows like the healthiest bows possible, man. But dag on it, man. If I'm going in, I'm going going for the gold, Dotsie. I'm going for gold. Good. All right. Good. Get, get signed up. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, some, of, some of the names. So your partner Olympians, Rachel Adams, uh, bronze volleyball. Uh, you, of course, Heather Mitz, uh, three-time Olympic gold medalist in soccer. That soccer yeah. team, the women's soccer team, yeah. man, they love some plant-based eating, don't they? They do. It's like they all they talk about getting the memo. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, there's six or seven of them on the team that are plant-based. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. And I, I believe if they win gold at the Olympics, it's going to be the first team, male or female, in history to have won the, the, the World Cup and the Olympics in the same year, quote year. Because I think that, that the World Cup was at the end of 2020, if I'm not. So it's within the same 12 months. That's what I'm trying to say. So, yay, go USA. <laughs> History, yeah. Uh, yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Al yeah. Allie Riley's on the team, Alex Morgan. I mean, we, we, mm. Alex Morgan, it doesn't get bigger than that. And then you look over at basketball, Sue Bird, for goodness sakes. Sue freaking Bird is legendary on the basketball court. She is, court. and she's dairy-free. Yeah. She's not entirely vegan, but she'll get there. But but she is uh, very vocally dairy-free. Um, she's most likely lactose intolerant. I don't know, but I, most likely and just, uh, yeah, talks quite a bit about her, her dairy free eating. So, oh, that's cool. That's, Go mama that's cows. Get, <laughs> get, get her, girl. <laughs> she won't be, won't be recovering with the chocolate milk. No, no, Ugh, no, no, no. Gross, yeah. No. Ah. Well, daggone, you got a lot going on. I love it. Uh, how's, uh, how's the switch for a good podcast coming? Oh, you know what? It's, you know, it's, I just love doing it with Alexandra. Like we just love it so much. And it, it's just such a, it's such a special way to uh, reach an audience that wants and needs this information and is, is, is curious and excited about learning. And, you know, I mean, just it's so fun having all the different, all the different guests on from all different walks of life and, and, and just, you know, being exposed to all of their brilliance and suggestions to make our lives better. So it's going great. Thanks it's, for asking. <laughs> yeah, it's the coolest. And and to this day, it was one of my favorite interviews that I've ever given was when I had Ugh. the opportunity to hop on with you guys. You were phenomenal. Like you were one of my, my, my favorite of all time of having on. I mean, you were just such an open book. You were so self-effacing and just so real and raw. And I just know that you helped thousands and thousands of people. And if, if people listening haven't heard his episode and don't, you know, they know your story probably if they're listening to this podcast, but I mean, the nitty gritty stuff that maybe you haven't told on this. I mean, you, you went all out for us and, and uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was beautiful to hear. Well, I, I appreciate you, you guys. Yeah. Let me tell the, the full story because there, there are definitely components to it that I do not talk about uh, on this show, um, yeah. but you, you gave me an a uh, avenue to do that. So, uh, Super, super grateful for that. And you guys are just doing extraordinary things on that show with Switch for Good, the Eat Like an Olympian campaign. And you you just bring a whole bunch of good energy into the world too. So I could talk so to you all you. day, but like <laughs> we're, we're out of time for this one. But uh, standing invite, whenever you want to come back and just shoot the breeze. I mean, come on, anytime. I love this Aww. so much. 
Thanks. I'm glad we got to do this right around the Olympic time and yeah, get people get people stoked about this. It's going to be a it's going to be a fun couple of weeks of competition. So no even with empty stands, we'll be on our couches cheering really loud. Maybe they'll hear us. <laughs> oh. Make the voices carry. Make yeah. them Let's do some name dropping, shall we? Here are just a few of the plant-based Olympians who are competing in Tokyo this year. Now, we already spoke about Mark Cavendish. Then in basketball, you have Sue Bird. And then there's soccer megastar Alex Morgan and her teammate Allie Riley. In BMX, there's Paris Benegas. In Taekwondo, Victoria Stambaugh is doing big things. Talented fencer Vivian Kong, also vegan. Mickey Papa, he's a world-class skateboarder, also just says no to meat and dairy. And on the track, Kaylin Whitney is fueled by plants as she races past the competition. Unless we forget tennis superstar Novak Djokovic, who is serving it up for his native country of Serbia. So if you would like to eat like an Olympian, again, we have all of the links to sign up for the Switch for Good Eat Like an Olympian campaign right now in the episode notes. And who knows? Maybe we'll be adding your name to that list for the 2024 games in Paris. And here's one more name to add to this year's list. Diana Taurasi. ESPN just did a big in-depth profile on her. And if you are not familiar with Diana, she is a basketball megastar. You can't talk about the WNBA without talking about Diana Taurasi. Now, what this profile that ESPN did, it covered a lot of things, including her transition over to a plant-based diet and I bet this is something that you can relate to. They also spoke about the conversations that she has had with family members about the benefits of going vegan because of health conditions. She has someone in her family who has a heart condition, and then she has someone who has battled cancer. She spoke to both of them about changing their diet. So even though she's a superstar, you have something in common with her, I'll bet. And if you're ready to start making changes, you're not quite there yet, but you're ready to start and you feel like you could use a little bit of help. Well, our doctors and dietitians at the Barnard Medical Center would love to work with you and telemedicine visits are available. So you can get that help at home or at the office or wherever it is that you are. So make that appointment today. Get that help. Call 202-527-7500 or log on to barnardmedical.org. That's 202-527-7500 or barnardmedical.org. Insurance is accepted. And when you call, you can get a full list of states where services are available. And let the doctors and dietitians there, let that team be your coaches as you go for gold in health. And for you athletes, we have also put together a free ebook titled Food Power for Athletes. 
I bet you can guess where we're going with this. It teaches you all about how a plant-based diet can fuel your performance, the very things that we were talking about on the program today. And for those of you who are still on the fence, think about all of the names that you just heard. Think about the conversation today with Dotsie. Think about checking out the documentary, The Game Changers, and then think about giving it a try. What do you have to lose? See what happens for yourself. And for goodness sakes, also check out Dotsie's amazing Switch for Good podcast. She does that with Baywatch actress Alexandra Paul. And those two are doing big, big, big things in the vegan community. And they always have such cool guests on too. I mean, you want to talk about going in depth about things and getting people to just bear their soul. Dotsie and Alexandra are masters at getting their guests to open up while also teaching you all about nutrition and the benefits that come with eating a plant-based diet. Plus, they're just awesome. <laughs> There's a link to check out their podcast in the episode notes. And for today, that's going to wrap things up. I want to say thank you one more time to our Olympic hero, Dotsie Bausch. And for everyone here at the Physicians Committee, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for listening. And remember, as always, keep it plant-based.